planetary siege, Ivan B. Terrible's forces have taken major casualties. Key weapons factories have been destroyed, but at a heavy cost to the Liberty Rebels. In one of the longest and fiercest battles of the war, Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart's commando squad are on the verge of claiming the Earth's moon. If the Freedom Fighters lose the planet Earth, it will cost them vital fuel resources necessary for maintaining their army. Thomas L. Knapp, armed with his keyboard, rides away in a final effort to turn the tide in this battle. Thomas L. Knapp is the director and senior news analyst at the William Lloyd Garrison Center for Libertarian Advocacy Journalism. Now, as Thomas L. Knapp and the comedian Robbie Bernstein begin a cleanup of the planet, they launch an intense campaign to find communist leader Ivan P. Terrible and bring him to justice. Will Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart take control of the moon? Will Thomas L. Knapp win the hearts and minds of the people of Earth? Stay tuned to hear Thomas Knapp on episode 43 on Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Hello there, Johnny. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am actually good. I, I bet. Yeah, I, you know, I actually <laughs> slept a little bit last night for once, and it's it's crazy because I have not been getting sleep. Uh, this week has been a little gruesome for me because Rob Stratton goes on vacation, and he goes to Hawaii, and he's like, well... It's convenient because we don't have internet in Hawaii, where he's going. And so you need to take over Launchpad Media and do all the operations this week. And then our editor, Ben's like, hey, man, I can't get the show done because I'm working like 14, 15-hour days. Oh, it's crazy. So you have to do the show this week. So not only am I, so then I have all this other going on. And then, you know, just on top of it, you know, then the kids are sick at home and then you name it. You know, it makes you really appreciate the people that are working for us and that we all have a part to play. And, you know, I've talked to Ben at length and just the fact that he does this because he believes it's important for the world to hear the messages of liberty and, and yeah. in all different ways. And so this work is like a part in my term. I, I call it God's work because I, I feel like it's the important it's stuff. It's not God's work. It's, it's really a pain in the ass. And I'm, I'm just like <laughs> grateful for these people. Yeah, because they really have. I mean, I don't know what I would do. I'm like, it's like I'm burning the candle at both ends doing Rob's well, job. And uh, congratulations is an order. I'm just going to cut you off and say uh, congratulations on your Region One alternate position win for the LNC. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. For those who don't know, it's a position in the LP and the Libertarian Party that basically is an envoy for about 11 state parties between them and national, right? Yeah, and it's crazy. So add that to the mix too. So on top of that, that's more stuff. I well, I haven't really done much except for like reach out to the states and been like hey guys i'm i'm the new guy so yeah. if you have any bitches gripes or complaints please come to me so right. you know just add another layer of to my life and it's it's great my life though i'm busy you love it exactly <laughs> all right so raylene one of the most persistent accusations against academics is that they are guilty of indoctrination many people have long suspected that governments sometimes attempt to indoctrinate their people to increase the government's own power and influence Indoctrination happens through many channels, entertainment, 
speeches, and censorship. But its main instrument is the school system. Teachers have a captive audience of malleable young minds for several years. They may not have figured out how to make students smart or productive, but they can at least make them submissive and obedient. Today, we're going to talk about indoctrination with our guest, Mr. Thomas L. Knapp. Thomas Knapp writes op-eds for the William Lloyd Garrison Center for Libertarian Advocacy Journalism and publishes Rational Review News Digest, a daily news commentary link roundup for the freedom movement. His past roles include managing editor at the Henry Hazlitt Foundation and media coordinator senior editor at the Center for Stateless Society. He lives with his radical libertarian spouse and children in Gainesville, Florida. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Thomas Did I hear somebody say cold beer? Oh, yeah. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, that's what we're doing, man. This is what it's all about. This is what this show's all Well, not really. We actually talk about liberty. Uh, but, Tom, I have a question. The very, very first question I got to ask you. Okay. Tom, have you stopped beating your wife? Is this... Oh, geez, Louise. You hear the screaming in the background? It's settled down some. Okay. Used to the all right. routine was, honey... I'm about to leave work. I'm going to stop at the bar on the way home for a couple of drinks. If you don't have the lawn mowed and dinner made by the time I get home, don't bother making any for yourself. Uh huh. <laughs> and I would just be like, okay, honey, okay. Yeah, exactly. But that's the word on the street that it, that you just for all the time. Oh, geez, Louise. But well, that, that's not true, right? No, I stopped being violent when I got out of the Marine Corps. Ah, there you go. There you go. We knew it. We knew it. We knew it. So That's hilarious. Tom, indoctrination has classically been characterized as something that necessarily is concerned with in instilling beliefs. What exactly does it mean to indoctrinate? And is education and media without indoctrination even possible? Well, to me, indoctrination is sort of the art of getting people to accept certain things and to never stray from thinking those things. You were in the Army. I was in the Marine Corps. They call it indoctrination. If you look at the paperwork, uh, induction and indoctrination. And they do they really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they do. You are taught to think a certain way about certain things. And that is just pounded into you so that later on you will automatically think that way about those things. Mm -hmm. And we do it in society as well. Uh, Religion is probably where it started. If yeah. you get the four-year-old believing that the sun god is angry and only the priests can propitiate him, right? when he's four, he'll still think that way when he's 40. Well, the definition of indoctrination is literally the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. That's exactly how you described it. And the definition of brainwashing is the process of pressuring someone into adopting radically different beliefs by using systematic and often forcible means. Is there a difference? Well, the idea of brainwashing is to unindoctrinate somebody from something and indoctrinate them into something else. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, well, I mean, like, yeah, with us in the military, right? I mean, we, we could look at that. Like, Raylene and I were talking before the show started, and we were discussing the idea of breaking us down and then building us up again. That's what boot camp is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, they shave your head. They make you look like everyone else. 
They strip your personality down to zero and they rebuild it the way they want it. Exactly. Really brainwashing more than indoctrination. They're taking away everything that came before, too. Wow. But we can look at it like nationalism. I mean, let's take a look at nationalism. Yeah, let's let's go straight up to patriotism. Let's 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 yeah. hit it all the way. This entire concept, a tool intended to manipulate the masses and is being a patriot something to even be proud of, you guys? Well, I would not classify nationalism itself as indoctrination. Indoctrination is used to instill it. Mm-hmm. But nationalism is nothing but tribalism writ large. Mm-hmm. You know, we have bigger tribes now. That's true. Indoctrination probably started with religion and is tribalism. And mm-hmm. then as the state came into form and got larger than, than individual small tribes, well, we need to drill it into people's head that they love, quote, their country, unquote. Right. By whatever definition, it's usually defined politically. You know, when you say you love America, it's assumed you mean that you love the people in Washington, D.C. and the special sacred piece of cloth with the red, white and blue on it. Mm-hmm. And certain certain things that you identify with the landmass you live on, and therefore you will be patriotic toward the landmass. Isn't that weird? I find it weird. <laughs> Me too. You know, uh, the other day, there have been so many times, but I remember bawling when we were attacking Syria and what was going on with that. And because these crimes that I, I feel there are crimes are committed by our government and how they somehow represent us and that the people in this entire globe view us under this American flag and what decisions this government is doing. And and it doesn't really matter what I want or what I consent to or what I believe in. And I have no power over that and how these people are going to collectivize me because these That's true. In, yeah. in our government are collectivizing others. I mean, it is so unjust. Right. You didn't make the decision to go to war, right? You had nothing to do with it. But like we're still guilty. See, I'm even saying it too. I'm, I'm like I'm aware of it, but I keep saying the word "we," us. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yep. that is part of the programming. I mean, I still find myself doing it, knowing me that too. I am not Forces part of the system anymore. I am not speaking on behalf of other people, but I think it's very much ingrained in our DNA almost that we think in a collectivist mindset, and it takes a lot of discipline to actually start thinking. Okay, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm not part of this. I'm an individual. I'm an individual. I'm not part of this. What do you have to say about this, Tom? Because, I mean, really, it's almost inherently drilled into us at an early age. We. I don't even know if it's genetic. It could even be like a DNA sociobiology kind of thing. I don't know. It, it could be, I suppose. It just could be built into the way the human brain works, and some people are better at taking advantage of it than others. But, yeah, we go to the public school system, and... You know, they'll call it civics class or whatever's incorporated into the other classes. Right. But for 12 years, you taught that you live in a country that has certain values and that you're part of it and that you are the government and and this kind of stuff. And it's hard to break out of that. It actually took the Marine Corps to break me out of that. Interesting. Explain. Well, I mean, I was a hard charging Marine infantryman. When we went, I went to Desert Storm. I didn't think a whole lot about whether it was right or wrong. I, I just want to go. I'm, you know, this is what we're doing. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go America. But in the early 90s, I was on, uh, uh, Johnny may be familiar with this group. It's called Joint Task Force 6. Yes. They did counter-narcotics missions. And, and the fiction was that it didn't violate posse comitatus because we were just training. And then if we saw pot plantations or meth labs, we would call the law enforcement in. 
Okay. We weren't making arrests or whatever. So I went on one of these missions. It was up in the Sequoia National Forest in uh, California. And we found this water filtration system that we assumed had to do with pot cultivation. So I tell the National Forest Service police about it. And instead of doing whatever they do, they're like, we, it's, it's not pot. It's this survivalist, this weird anti-government guy. Okay. And he has a <laughs> water filtration system because he keeps a 30,000-gallon water tank ready for, you know, when. Okay. And we want you to take your team and do surveillance of his property and tell us what you see. Well, that right there violated our rules of engagement and posse comitata. Right? Wow. Wow. So I uh, I don't know what it's called in the Army when you go up the chain of command appealing an order. In the Navy and Marine Corps, it's called requesting mast. Okay, no, it's not. I never did it, so no. Okay. Well, <laughs> He's I like, I'm not a narc. <laughs> I requested mast all the way up to commanding general and got told to do it. Okay. And I was wow. a team leader. So I got my team together and I said, here's what they're telling us to do. And it's so what we're going to do is I want you to pack as much booze as you feel like you'll need for three days in your packs when we go out. And we went out and we hid in a thorn thicket, drank for three days, came back, and my after-action report was just, we didn't see nothing. Nice. Very good. That's like another form of nullification, by the way. Good job. I later came to find out, have you ever heard of a man named Donald Scott? No. He owns some property in the Sequoia. Okay. That the National Forest Service wanted, and he Uh wouldn't sell it to them. It was surrounded by the National Forest. It was one of the last parcels of private property. And because he wouldn't sell it to them, they brought in Joint Task Force 6. They didn't bring in infantry. They brought in helicopters to take aerial photography of his land. Okay. And submit a report saying that they thought there was pot growing there. And then they busted into his house at 3 in the morning to, quote, serve a search warrant, unquote, and gunned him down. And I came to find out that these were the same police I was working with. I hadn't heard of the incident until after that. So they gunned him down, but he didn't have anything. Well, he had a gun in his hand when he came out of his bedroom at three in the morning. Which is a his, people had just yeah, yeah. His house. Mm-hmm. it's his right. Yeah, it's actually his responsibility. All that after my incident with these guys. Wow. And that was what started making me really question the war on drugs, really question the Marine Corps, because I'd been ordered to break the law. Was that your like first encounter with the ideas of liberty? Like, was that the first little chink in the in the armor of questioning the state? No, it was more my breaking point. Okay. I mean, I've been reading a little bit of Ayn Rand and stuff like that and was kind of getting the idea that this whole war on drugs thing was at the very least silly. Okay. And probably wrong. But just that being given an illegal order to do something that was clearly wrong and then finding out that the same people I'd been working with were the murderers who had killed this guy for his land using drugs as an excuse. Wow. Was Filthy. the breaking Filthy. point for me with, you know, I got out of the Marine Corps shortly after that. Okay. Yeah, my story's not that interesting. I just, you know, when you were in the military and I was in the military, I mean, I just started seeing all this fraud, waste, and abuse. And that was like the big red flag. You know what I mean? Like just seeing stuff like people get rewarded for spending more money and wasting more money. Oh, yeah. That particular mission, I actually ran the numbers on it because unlike previous missions, I was involved in some of the logistics with it. Mm-hmm. And my best guess was that they were spending a minimum of $70,000 a day to keep this small team running around the woods looking for pot. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. That makes no sense. It's actually just disgusting. Well, it's just like, you remember like at the end of a training year or fiscal cycle. Shoot all your ammo. We won't shoot get- all your ammo. You had to blow all your ammo. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, just shoot it. It doesn't matter. Just 
throw it down the range. Oh, yeah. What? I was at a mortar platoon, 81 millimeter mortar platoon. And at the end of the year, we would take like three, five, 10 trucks full of mortar rockets out to the range and just fire straight for two days. Yep. to get rid of it so that we would get a full budget the next year to buy more. That's right. So they reward people for wasting money. Oh, yeah. Because if you don't spend it, then they say, oh, well, obviously you didn't need it. Yeah. So now you have to justify the budget, right? So this is another problem. And again, I, you know, it's all messed up. I mean, what do you think people are so afraid about libertarianism? Because like, I noticed that there's a lot of people just think that we're fucking nuts. And maybe we are. But is it like a fear-based system? That, that has been drilled into people's heads. Like, I'm thinking that this is the thing, man. Like, people are drilled into the mindset that you have to have a state. There's got to be rulers. Yep. There's got to be somebody governing you. You can't do it by yourself. We have a hierarchy. Most people understand that if the government disappeared tomorrow, they're not going to go out and start murdering people with chainsaws and raping and pillaging and all this stuff, but they're convinced everybody else would. There's a certain element of it. I don't have the exact quote to hand, but it was Mencken who defined our system of thought or of government as the knowing fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love Mencken. I love Mencken. You know, the ego is in us and we're always afraid of getting the short end of the stick. And we're always afraid every time we make a law, it's for other people. And is all egoic and collective ego is what the state preys upon. That's why they do the indoctrination is so they can use collective ego and this shared ideas and beliefs that they want to. They exploit those and and take advantage of us over and over and over again. And they use things like feel-good emotions to perpetuate this indoctrination also. The people need to eat and the libertarians want everyone to starve. That's something that they they come at it from those angles too. So they they play upon... Our fears and emotions. And, you know, I can afford to miss a few meals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I I wrote a list today of of, um, because we knew we were going to be talking about indoctrination. And and I had a pretty good list here. And it's like military, police, patriotism, government schools, colleges and education, scientific community, alphabet agencies, media and TV, obviously, social issues, things like feminism and what people are allowed to say and not say. And then uh, family relationships, which is a little more nuanced, and then obviously religion. So that's what I came up with, and you brought a lot of them up already. And don't you believe that in the past, religion was just another version of the state, and it, it still can be? Um, the state is just an oppressive, uh, an oppressive entity that exploits these fears in us and controls us through What, what through about that, the children, correct? though, Raylene? What about the children? Is, I mean, is religion any different than the state itself? The statism is religion, right? Well. I have my own religious beliefs and I don't have any problem with other people having those beliefs exploited. Somebody's going to find a way to take those beliefs and use them as a convenient carrying handle to make you go where they want. Mm -hmm. And that's going to develop into an institution called the church or or whatever that becomes all about the power to do that, not about the particular beliefs. The beliefs become just a tool. Yeah, the spirituality versus the religion itself, right? Right. Yeah, I'm not going to try and tell anybody what the correct spiritual belief is. I don't know for sure myself. I have my own ideas. But just down the street, there's any number of churches whose bottom line depends on people believing it fervently and never deviating from that belief. They have to be indoctrinated. Right. Get them to Sunday school when they're four. I think historically, though, back in like, you know, the dark ages, 
that was like the state. I mean, the church, it was the state. It was the state. Now, now it's more of a voluntary thing. But for the most part, if you don't want to go to church, you're not forced to do it. So I think, you know, that could be like if your parents force you to go to church and you're a kid, mm-hmm. you're going to be indoctrinated. If you've been like to, you know, church every Sunday for since you were two or three years old, you're probably going to be raised and grow up and say, I'm still a Christian or a Catholic or whatever, right? That's indoctrination. But to but me, even without this church being the government anymore, mm-hmm. they certainly impact the government. They can turn out voters to point the state in the direction they want it to go. That's right. Because they have money. Because they have money. Exactly. Anytime that they also are trying to use force or initiate aggression in any way, if you see that that is happening with whatever anybody's telling you, if it comes down to using force, then you have to realize that you're being exploited no matter who's telling you what it is, right? Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So speaking of, so religion is is kind of on a downtrend right now, where in at least in our Western culture and a lot of Eastern culture too. So is it being replaced with the state, the, the people's need for a set of understanding and rules and maybe shared context with others? Is it is it just another kind of tribalism? I would say that it is. I would even say that it's a new kind of religion. I agree. I agree too. You mm-hmm. look at, and, and I hate the pejorative abbreviation, but SJW. And mm-hmm. the last maybe five years or so at the universities, mm-hmm. these are people who are indoctrinated in a certain way of thinking. And they're not only against people who don't think like them, they're scared of the idea that people can say it. Yes. Wow. They believe that we have to be constantly affirmed in their set of beliefs. Tom, here's the thing, though. It's like I, I was talking to Ray about this, and it's like in a way of controlling them, our politically correct culture in, in its essence is another form of control. Like, politically correct culture is control. And people can't say Like, if you say something and you, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder, especially if it's like maybe a joke or something funny, you're like, okay, am I going to offend somebody? It's gotten to the point where nobody is allowed to say anything. I'm sure if a social justice warrior, these modern heroes today, heard this show, they'd be pulling their hair out. And this is the thing. We, we are programmed to shut up and we won't maybe go to jail for it, but we'll be socially ostracized for saying certain things or thinking certain ways from our peers, which pushes us out of this tribal mentality, right? So we were talking about everybody wants to be part of a group, right? Like that's just kind of how we... Social creatures. We're social creatures. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be excluded from the main group or the cool crowd or whatever. And if we think something different, we are chastised and, you know, made fun of, and nobody wants to be that guy. You know, like, you remember in the military, if, you know, you, you're like, you don't want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of social pressure, which kind of forces people to not really see clearly. On campus, it's gone beyond social pressure. It's gone to active attempts to censor. Right. Exactly. Using the long arm of the state and the monopoly on violence and using the state specifically is so common now trying to outlaw free speech, even at like you brought up schools and colleges, not only are colleges indoctrination camps, I I, just like government schools are, but now they don't even let speakers come to these colleges. And and in fact, the students are demanding that somebody does not even come and speak. They don't even want to listen to the ideas and then debate them, right? Exactly. And I, I live near a major university, the University of Florida. And it's getting to the point to where when there's a speaker or an event or whatever, all some 
students have to do is say, well, that makes us feel unsafe. Interesting. Okay, well, then we have to shut those people up. Wow. So they weaponized this whole idea that ideas they don't agree with must not be heard. Where did this start? Where did the scary ideas and free speech start getting silenced in this country? I mean, I don't remember this happening when I was a child and I went to government schools and there were a lot of problems there, but you know, yeah, you're right. I don't remember it either. I mean, I I don't remember like growing up thinking that this was an issue. Like you couldn't say your mind. If you were born between say the early sixties and the eighties, you were living in sort of a golden age where free speech was considered a supreme value. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to the earlier America where it was illegal to mail information about contraception or, Oh, yeah. To hold atheist gatherings, stuff like that. Interesting. Then we kind of had a free speech revolution. That was one of the few good things that came out of the 60s. The TV, right? That was for media. Well, there was a, the free speech movement on campus. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I missed that. But the whole hippie <laughs> yeah. thing, a lot of it was about free speech, free expression and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, to slide back, but it tends to be coming at us from the left instead of the right this time. Wow. And when I say the left, America doesn't really have a far left. The people we think of as far leftists are sort of conservatives. They want to conserve the New Deal. (laughs) Word. Oh, I love it. Yeah. They want to conserve the New Deal. Yeah. They are just scared to death of anything that might threaten the New Deal, the great society, the welfare state. So they're doing the same thing the old religious conservatives used to do. Okay, well, let's just outlaw anything that might allow people to think we're wrong. Wow. Especially what's happening with the deplatforming and demonetizing that's happening right now. The internet was another great push towards free speech and being able to share ideas, right? But the thing is, this seems like a kind of a new thing now. I mean, like I've just started seeing it happening, I would say within the last 10 years. Am I right on that? It's a new thing to us. Because of the free speech push before. Mm -hmm. Tail end of the 20th century, when there had been a free speech movement and when the internet was facilitating free speech. Right. You go back to the 50s and McCarthyism and the blacklisting. And then before that, to um, the church doesn't want us to be able to mail information about how to not have kids because that's a violation of religious values. Sure. We had censorship through much of our history. We had a brief oasis of like real free speech. And now they're coming back at it. We got to clamp down on this. Absolutely. Anyways, though, this is Journey Rocket, and make sure you check out Free Talk Live. It's America's fastest-growing, number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on, guess what, Ray? Seven nights per week. That is a lot of work. And they're on 190-plus radio stations coast-to-coast. And it's pro-liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas with the beautiful Raylene Lightheart. We're talking to Tom Knapp, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. 
Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. to the one and only Mr. Thomas L. Knapp. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. Glad to be here, Johnny. This is fun, man. And like, before we go into rocket fire, because that's tradition, I just want everyone to know that Tom and I had talked on the phone, man, and me and you can actually, we can yap for a while. We can actually talk for quite some time. It was good talk. Oh, yeah. We, We were talking mostly military stuff, how we realized how stupid we were for joining the military, but I don't know. How do you feel about that? Before we go into rocket fire, how do you feel about the military now that you're out and you're kind of on the outside looking in? Do you still have a sense of, I mean, is there any pride still about the military? You've been around Marines, right? I have. That's not something that's possible to lose. I was in for 10 years, honorable discharge, all the good stuff. I went to a war and I enjoyed it. Okay. And we're talking about indoctrination. The Marine Corps hammers that into you hard. Right. Band of brothers, the history, the the nostalgia, the tradition. So I don't think it would be possible for me to not have a certain amount of pride in membership in that brotherhood and what I accomplished that I, you know, that I never thought I could do, like rappelling out of helicopters and and getting shot at and not in my pants. Right. Um, stuff like that. At the same time, I'm a peacenik now. Exactly. See, I'm the same way. Like, I still have some of my, you know, military gear on display. I have my Stetson and my Spurs and I earned, you know what I mean? I had to go through so much crap to get something so trivial, you know, to the average person that would be like, it's a trinket, you know? But to me, it was like, I I had the blood, sweat and tears to get that little, you know, metal or whatever. And it, I don't know. I, I Again, I'm a peacenik also. I, I, at one point, you know, I was telling Raylene, I was very pro-war at one point. And now that I, you know, understand how it all works and how the system is, you know, now I'm like, man, this is all. I feel bad for anybody being in the military today. I really do. Well, starting about 9-11, I've had several people come to me. My kid is thinking about joining the military. Will you talk to them? Yeah. And I've done it. And what I tell these kids is, okay, if you want to join the military, go ahead. But you need to know some things. The first one is when you sign that dotted line, you're going to be under a contract that will be enforced and extended at will, whether you like it or not. That's right. And you're going to do what you are told for eight years. Everything you're told without question, unless you want to go to the brick. That's right. And secondly, there's a very good chance that you're going to end up doing things that years later, you're going to feel guilty about. It's true. Because you should feel guilty about them. That's right. I don't tell them not to do it, but I tell them, you know, think hard before you do this because it's not just a job choice. It's not just a lifestyle choice. It is something that is going to shape your life and not necessarily positively. I agree, man. 
All right, hey, Tom, so what we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Tom Knapp, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? I'm always ready to play. All right, here we go. Question one. What is your opinion on term limits? I don't have a problem with them, but I don't think there's some kind of cure for, like, political careerism or for the problems of the state. We have term limits. They're called elections. If we want other term limits, that's just fine, but don't expect it to fix things. All right. Rock and roll. Question two. What is the most controversial belief held by libertarians? Well, my quick answer to that is the belief that you are better qualified to run your life than someone else. (laughs) If I had to pick a specific issue, it would probably be age of consent. Oh, yeah. Uh, Draw a number out of a hat. If they're under that number, they you know, can't decide to have sex. Uh I think it's more complex than that, but you can't bring it up without people starting to scream pedophile. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We try to stay away from that one. All right. Is the non-aggression principle really a principle or just a golden rule? I call it a constraint. I use it to define libertarianism. Okay. To me, a libertarian system is any system that doesn't include initiation of force. That's the only thing that matters. If it includes initiation of force, accepts initiation of force, it's not libertarian. If it doesn't, it is. And so you might have like a socially conservative community whose members agree to do stuff that I would think is silly, like wear burkas or long dresses or no makeup or no premarital sex. Yeah, that would suck. That's fine as long as nobody's forced. Yeah, you got to taste the, you got to drink the milk before you buy the cow, man. Come on. Well, this is true. If the participants are down with that, that's up to them. It doesn't become unlibertarian until somebody is pointing a gun to compel adherence. Right on. I agree. Question four. You'll like this one. What is truth and is it the same as reality? What is truth? I guess I would have to say that it is the same as reality. Okay. Truth is those things which are facts, which can be proven, which can be known and which aren't negotiable. If it's true, it's true. If it's not, it's false. And there's not really an in-between. Right on, man. Question five. Who do you believe is right on the pro-life and pro-choice debate? And is there validity on both sides? I don't know if anyone is right on the pro-life, pro-choice debate. Because there are two libertarian approaches to it. It's a question of fact. Is a fetus a person with rights? If the fetus is a person with rights, then you can't initiate force against them. If it isn't, then it's just a medical decision. No biggie. It's like popping a zit or having a boil ants or whatever. Okay. If the fetus is a person with rights, it gets more complicated. What are those rights? What violates them? Interesting. That's a good point. How do they interplay with the rights of the mother? The mother has a right to control her own body. And and it's more difficult to figure out. I get along with pro-choice and pro-life libertarians, but I'm with Harry Brown who said that if the government declared war on abortion within a week, men would be having them. (laughs) So I just don't see it as a political question. It's it's something that we have to come to understand and agree on. And I doubt we will ever solve it. I think so. I don't think it's ever going to be an issue that is going to have a a clear, concise answer. Uh, All right. Question six. What is the difference between free and fair trade and which one is of greater importance? Well, free trade is the ability of any two or more parties to engage in an exchange, which they all voluntarily agree to. 
To me, fair trade is free trade because in a voluntary exchange, every party believes they're better off. That's right. That's economics 101. Yeah. If I give you a dollar for a loaf of bread, it means the loaf of bread was worth more than a dollar to me and less than a dollar to you. Right. And we're both happy to have what we ended up with. That's free and that's fair. I'm with you on this one. All right. Question seven. You're going to like this one. Can a war ever be just? And if so, which war historically do you believe has been just? To the extent that war involves states, I don't think it ever can be just because it's never about what people are convinced it's about. And it's a collective enterprise in which some people are killing others and in which innocents will be killed or injured. Now, are there wars that I, where I thought that the ostensible purpose was worthy, like, say, the American Revolution? Absolutely. But I would be willing to bet that there were any number of American Continental Army soldiers who committed atrocity, that there were civilians who were hurt or wounded or murdered or looted in the name of American freedom. So while the, the purpose of the war may have been just, the war had to be unjust. Right on, man. I'm with you. All right. Question eight. Do you think race is a biological category or a social construct? I would say that it is a social construct, and that's not to minimize biological differences between people. Some of us have more melanin in the, in the skin than others. Some of us have an epicanthal fold in our eyes because that's where how humans evolved in Asia or whatever. But to the extent that we attach social importance to that, that's entirely us. It's just another way for us to choose somebody else and make them other. Interesting. Good answer. I really like that. That's a different way. I've never looked at it like that before. Very, very cool. Question nine. Can negative rights ever come in conflict with one another? And how could that be solved? I would like to say no. Um, I can't think of an instance which, because negative rights are the rights to do what you want to do as long as you don't violate the other negative rights of other people. But we just talked about abortion. Mm -hmm. And that is complicated when you have two ostensible persons in the same body. One has the right to control her body. The other one has the right not to be killed other than in self-defense. You know, I don't know the answer to that. See, that's so, kind of a negative right conflict. Ideally, I see negative rights as never being in conflict. There are some edge cases where, you know, I wonder, and I just don't claim to have the answer because I don't. Some people claim to have the answer, and I find that claim wanting. <laughs> okay, sounds good, man. Our question 10. Who would you ultimately blame for the loss of freedom and our liberties in recent history? In recent history. Well, the answer there is always people who believe they're entitled to run the lives of others. Excuses are like, everybody's got one and they all stink. <laughs> That's an old uh, Dirty Harry quote. Yeah, from, uh, I know that. Yeah, I know that one. Everyone has some reason why they think they should get to run someone else's life in this or that respect. And 90% of the people who say that they'll, they'll say they lean libertarian or they're libertarian at heart. But there's this one area where I know I have the right answer and everybody else should have to do it my way, even though doing it their way does not harm me. Right. That makes sense. There's a lot of people like that. Yeah, exactly. I'm a libertarian leaning guy. I agree with you guys over here, but I'm still going to bomb the out of all these other nations. I'm not libertarian when it comes to war. Right. Or but we can't have abortion or but heroin has to be illegal even if we have legal pot. Right. Have a 30-round magazine or whatever. 
you know, everybody has a big butt. Exactly. Yep. I have no butts, no butts, no butts. So yeah, I mean, the cause of loss of liberty are people giving into the urge to control other people. Interesting. Very cool. All right, Tom. Bonus question. You're going to like this one. When you're driving and you see one shoe on the ground, we've all seen this, right? Today, I saw it. Coming in, this made me think of the joke here. When you're driving, you see one shoe on the side of the road, just one. What do you think happened to the other shoe? I just got to know. I assume that it's still on the body that's further off in the bushes. <laughs> I don't know. Like, did somebody get hit? Or is it like... That's his marine training. No, but like, think about it, though. Like, everyone, every, I have never, you just see that one shoe. You're like, you're driving on the road? I don't know. Every time I do that, I start looking around to see if there's a body like 10 feet further off the road with one shoe on. That's right. <laughs> and it was on Rocket Fire. Give it up for Thomas Elman. Good job, man. That was really good. Anyways, that's Journey. Yeah, you survived, man. Anyways, that's Journey Rocket. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the LAVA Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. TheLavaFlow.com Seriously, you know, when we talked on the phone, I, I know where you're coming from, from the military. And it's it's really nice to have such a dedicated, hardcore, radical anarchist who was once a soldier or a Marine. Excuse me, I apologize. That's an insult to you. Uh, my impression is that the libertarian movement in general and the libertarian party in particular are pretty heavy on better. Yeah, huge supporters of Ron Paul. But that's the thing. Like, most of us have seen all the bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, we should be like the number one... Like, when people get out of the military, we should be, like, outside the gate of fort, you know, and be like, hey, why don't you join the Libertarian Party? You've been tired times. Get your freedoms back. Here's your liberty. They can't let themselves believe that there are such a huge amount of people. That's why they go to the Republican Party and the Constitutionalist Party. And, and, and not that parties are necessary, but you understand what I'm saying. It's because they promote the military and make them feel like heroes and say they are. And so it is much more comfortable where you've always been than it is to say, I did bad things or I wasted my life or I believed a lie. It's very hard to overcome that pride, wouldn't you say? 
I assume that most veterans are comfortable with what they did. They think it was the right thing. They had a career or whatever, and they're not going to heavily rethink it. But there's a significant percentage of veterans who get their DD-214 and then they sit down and they go, what was that? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I did. I rethink what I've been doing because what I was doing was pretty far out. Yeah, hella. And here's the thing too. Like, I mean, like, I don't know. You were like a mortar guy, right? You're. A, oh yeah. We call them we call them mortar maggots in the in the army. And the thing is, being a mortar guy, you know, I was a whirly bird pilot, right? But like when I got out of the military, well, I, we called you guys nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably was. Yeah, that's cute. But like, here's the thing, though. I remember, like, I was in line to get my DD two fourteen, and I'm sitting there, and I had to surrender my my military ID card, and I was like, no more discounts at IHOP or whatever, you know, I'm like a little upset about that. Then I remember like I was having like a panic attack. I was like, what am I going to do now? Oh, it's yeah. hard to get a job when you like, what did you do? I was like, I guns and missiles and there's not a civilian kind of every single young person I know, Johnny, that's joining the military is because what am I going to do? And that's what they choose it because the perks are good. Yeah. But when you go in and when you leave, you're still in the same position as when you joined you know like only now you know how much fun it is yeah that's the only thing i learned i know how to yeah and i did a lot of that you know but like what i'm saying is though you sit there and you're just like what the tom honestly why did you join the military what was the reasoning you wanted to or was it because you didn't have a job my brother joined the marine corps when i was six he's 12 years older than me mm -hmm. so i grew up idolizing him and i wanted to be a pilot and uh my eyes went bad in junior high, so I can't be a pilot, but I still wanted to be a Marine. And if I couldn't be a pilot, I wanted to be a Marine that killed people. You know, I got offered, you can be a jet mechanic or you can be a radar operator or all that. I'm like, no, give me some kind of weapon that. Right. Yeah. And thank you for your honesty in that, because there are not a lot of intelligent people who are honest about that. And I really appreciate you saying so, because that is what they do with G.I. Joe and the indoctrination in our lives. Oh, yeah. Made you feel that way. Yeah. Tried to recruit me and they offered me their nuclear power program. And I turned it down for two reasons. One was that it's a really hard school with lots of math and I'm not great at math and I figured I'd wash out. And right. the other one is, no, if I'm going to join the military, I don't want to sit in a reactor control room for six years pushing buttons, you know, I want to, if I press a button, it better make something go boom. Mm -hmm. Well, let me put a cap on this. Uh, we have like another 10 minutes or so. So we understand that indoctrination is on in all fronts, in all ways, both socially and through government force and, and money stolen. So knowing that it's such a really intricate, complex system, what's the solution? It sounds like something when we're young, but what is the solution? Where do we start? How do we combat these ideas? And how do we inspire our children and the people around us to be free mentally? Well, our children are different than other people because we can raise them to ask questions. We mm -hmm. can raise them to not just accept they're told, that to, to, to put it under scrutiny, to ask questions about it. If they don't get the right answers, don't believe it. Right. Right. As far as other adults, all we can do is metaphorically grab them by the shoulders and say, wake up and start thinking about this. Yeah. And asking them questions that, they, that are hard to answer without going outside their comfort zone. Yeah, but that's the thing, man. And I, I noticed that like in, in college because I went to, I used my GI Bill. I was 
go money from the government. I didn't realize I was doing it. I wasn't a libertarian. But when I did go to college, I remember, you know, sitting there and hearing all these things called critical thinking class, right? But it really wasn't critical thinking. The only, the answer, like they would have like a problem. Like, um, what should we do with texting and driving? And then every student went, there ought to be a law. And that was the <laughs> f- I'm like, I'm like, no, there shouldn't be a law. You know what? If you break your car, I've always held this idea. I don't care if you're drunk or high or stoned or whatever. If you hit somebody, you just pay restitution for hitting them. It doesn't matter if you're drunk. doesn't matter if you're sleeping. It doesn't matter if you were eating a McDonald's hamburger. It doesn't matter. Like you hit someone's car and it's your fault. And, and also, we can be talking about the moral justifications of, of limiting yourself from texting and not paying attention while you're driving. That's stupid. Yeah, no, I'm with you. No, but I guess the main point I want to say is people are not taught to really think critically. Thinking critically in college is there ought to be a law. Like that is thinking critically to them. All these things, man. I was just blown away by how people think. And they're training these kids like in, in college. They're training people to think laws are good. It's not just that they're training them to think laws are good. It's they're training them to think that laws are the only possible only solution to any problem. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And and so, okay, so for children, so we are the authority with our children because we're their, they're our wards. We take care of them. So when we look at the different definitions, like from Hoppe and Rothbard, of, of whether children are property or they're free people, but they're in a contract with us because we birthed them and raised them and, and whatever. It, either way that you come from it, it doesn't really matter that much, in my opinion. But not only do we teach them to think critically, but they're very little. So what, as the basis, we should start with self-ownership, right? And start making them question anything that that is outside of they own themselves. Wouldn't you say? Like, that's like the very root. Right. Absolutely. Right. And then also not trusting anyone else at all. Like, like you, you can, you can, what, what are the markers of how to trust others? Wouldn't you say? Like, not trusting what you're told, but, but learning about it yourself. And then even digging deeper from that person. That's how to do it. Like, especially with like scientific research or well, like climate change now, they're, they're like the science is settled. How is science ever settled? Because science is, is just an observation of, of the world around us and us learning how to understand it. Science right? is settled, Ray. The earth is flat. <laughs> it's settled. <laughs> Two younger kids briefly went to public schools okay. and then to homeschooling and then to unschooling. Nice, Which too. is more or less throw some books at them and see what happens. <laughs> but when they were in the public schools, almost immediately we had the D.A.R.E. talk. Yeah. D.A.R.E. came in to tell them how bad drugs were. And that's when I sat them down and I said, look, anything that you're told at school that sounds like to you, ask questions. And if you don't think the answers, if they, the answers sound like come home and talk to me about it and we'll help you figure it out. Nice. Hey, that's a good dad. That's a good dad. That is a good dad. Right. right. And they grew up pretty independent-minded. What kind of were they hearing when they were coming home and bringing it to you? What kind of stuff were they hearing that you were spinning them around on? The first thing, this was elementary school, so the big thing was dare. Yeah. Every Mm -hmm. year, they would have the cop come in and tell them how bad drugs were and blah, 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 blah. Well, my wife was the past chapter president of normal. Okay. So we weren't having any of that. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. That's, that's I, wish I, I wish I would have been raised in a free thinking home in that sense also. And what I told them is I'm like, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about drugs. Some of it's not going to be true. 
Yeah. I said, if you have questions, come ask us. We'll give you the best answers we can. If you decide to try a drug, I hope you'll talk with us first. And hell, you can try it at home and we'll be here. To help you out. Yeah, exactly. So you're not like walking out a window or some that. Yeah. And I don't want to come off like we're big ass druggies or anything. No, no, I get it. I now in the same way. I never in my wildest dreams can imagine myself being a parent that said, come talk to me. I want to have honest conversation with you. Okay. My mom, God bless her soul. But when I was a kid, it was like, you know, she would tell me, I know you smoke. I saw you smoking. I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry, mom. She's like, listen, if you're going to smoke, do it in front of me. Don't hide it because I'd rather have the respect of you telling me you're going to smoke and if you need them, I'll buy them for you. I don't really like you smoking, but if you're going to do it, you're going to do it anyways, right? And I remember the first time, I, I think the second or first time I smoked pot, I remember my mom's like, all right, I'm here. If you guys are going to smoke pot, do it in the garage. And she was cool. She's like, if you get sick, let me know. Have fun. If you don't have fun. And, and you don't even smoke pot. I don't. So it's, it's really important to note that just using some, pot is probably not what people think of as a gateway drug. It's probably not true, but not only that, but people can do drugs and not become addicted. You know, dare me up really hard. One day, my mom heard me in my room crying and she came in and was like, what's wrong? And I started bawling and I said, I'm afraid I'm going to do drugs. I was well, going home in an fits of anxiety. Right. <laughs> and, uh, oh, relax. So no, I mean, this is the thing though. I didn't. And and I was so scared of what they were telling me that if you ever, that you were going to do drugs because people were going to pressure you was what I took away from it and that you would become addicted and lose your entire life. And it could be any of these things that they were calling drugs. It, it was insanity, the amount of pressure that I yeah. felt that I was going to be bad and that I would be on drugs and the worst human. Yeah, because you went to the public school so That's there right. you go so <laughs> yeah but still they were doing that to kids yeah yeah it's horrifying wow i had exactly the reaction they didn't want me to have yeah when uh the big dare thing happened like in seventh grade by the end of it I was like i gotta go find some of this shit mm -hmm. i've heard that from so many people that the the cops and the and the dare program taught them how to do drugs and i didn't i mean i had blinders on i've just i was a good kid i i, I was a normal kid i couldn't find the drugs to do but i wanted <laughs> you were smoking oregano you know like oh, so I'm i cool. guess you didn't get offered drugs nearly as much as they promised Grew up in a small town, straight laced and stuff. I knew I knew there were people somewhere smoking dope, but but I didn't know who they were. And I'm like, I want to try this, man. Where That's is funny. It? That's funny. I had a reoccurring nightmare that a drug dealer was looking for me, and I had to keep running around, hiding from him in my house. That I've had that dream. I had it like at 35 years old. Yeah, a, a druggie. Looking back, doesn't that make you just want to kick that dare cop's ass? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. Hey, Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defract and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Hey, man, give us your dot coms. Me? Yeah, you. Yeah. Tom. TheGarrisCenter.org and RationalReview.com. And I also have a blog at napster.blogspot.com. That's K-N-A-P-P-S-T-E-R. Awesome. Awesome. Really quick, before we wrap this up, we got one, we got about 30 seconds, but you also are doing stand-up and are doing, um, 
you make cigar guitars, cigar box guitars. Yeah. Very interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd like to see that. I've done two stand-up sets, and I've made several cigar box guitars. My latest one is Precious. It, uh, the neck was cut by a guy who knew, knew Bo Diddley. Oh, nice. And uh, I made it a Bo Diddley rectangular style. Uh, I made it out of an old antique cake pan. And I'm about to take it out to Bo Diddley's grave and play it soon. Bo Diddley's grave is about 10 miles down the road. That is. That's cool. That's a cool story, man. Hey, videotape that. Yeah, put it on YouTube. Yeah, I'm planning to. Yeah, I'm going to go out. His grave is actually shaped like a guitar. That's cool. And uh, I'm going to go sit on his uh, grave site and play a little and, and take a video of it when I get the It's almost finished. Nice. Very cool. Hey, Raylene, if we want to hear more of Tom Knapp, where do we go and how do we do it? Just go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. If you give us a dollar an episode, you can hear the after party. And for only $2, you get the all-nighter also. $2 and you get the all-nighter also. All these shows, three of them. Three shows for $2 an episode. So if you're just getting the after party, that's $4 a month. That's like a Starbucks coffee. And you can have all this entertainment. Anyways, folks, Johnny Rocket always launching ideas with Miss Raylene Lightheart. Thanks, guys. All right. And we're talking to Thomas Snap again, man. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Thank you for having me on. It's a blast. Awesome. Literally. No awesome. pun intended, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Johnny Rocket signing off. See you next week. Rock and roll.